Now, today's scripture lesson takes us to a very unique book in the Bible, the book of Hebrews. Now, there are some that call this the letter to the Hebrews, but even though it's in that section of the New Testament where we find the letters, it really is not a letter. It's not addressed to anyone in particular or any group of people. You know, there's no greeting and there's no closing with the blessing. You know, I really believe that the best way to understand the book of Hebrews is to call it, well, something unique. And that is to say, in the Bible, this is a sermon. Now, it's a long sermon. So you're welcome that I just didn't read this for the sermon today. But it's also a sermon that will make you think. And it will actually test to see, do you know your Old Testament history? Do you, do you know your Old Testament stories? Book of Hebrews rises unchallenged as the best New Testament commentary on the Old Testament. It helps the reader understand the relationship of the Old Testament to Jesus Christ. This sermon makes clear that the sacrifices and other priestly activities in the Old Testament were pointing, always pointing, to the coming of the Christ. It teaches us that Jesus is the once for all sacrifice for sin, the true priest, the one mediator between God and all of humanity. Now, the book of Hebrew may considered a grand portrait of Jesus the Christ within the, the Old Testament as the background. Now, in college, I was required to take a class. And I'm here to tell you, if I wasn't required to take it, I probably would not have chosen it. Um, it was a class on, of all things, art history. And I'm here to tell you, it was an amazing class. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I learned so much, and it stayed with me all these years. One of the things that I learned was that the artists put themselves into their artwork. Things that the artist chose to paint, the lighting and the colors that they chose, all of these things tell us something about the artists themselves. Art actually allows you to see the world through the artist's eyes. Now, some artists put themselves into their work metaphorically, and others do so quite literally. The Dutch artist Rembrandt, Rembrandt's paintings seem to kind of grow up just as he does, and we can see his maturation. He moves from paintings that are full of action and what you might call worldly things to more religious paintings to a tender embrace of the loving father welcoming home his prodigal son. That's a very famous painting, of course, the prodigal son uh, of Rembrandt. Now, the question is, one of the things Rembrandt liked to do is he would actually paint himself into the pictures. 
And sometimes if you wanted to see Rembrandt and you looked at a picture of his, you'd always say, okay, where's the redhead in the picture? I don't think there's any redheads in this picture. And there's great debate on which one are, which one is Rembrandt? Because you've got the father and the prodigal. Those are kind of easy. And then you have a, a woman back there. And they say the woman was supposed to be his wife. And then you have the older brother, and then kind of like the world is watching on. Maybe a, a tax collector or somebody in authority there. And so the question comes, okay, which one's Rembrandt? And there's one thought out there that Rembrandt put his face on everybody in the picture except for the females of which his wife is on. Because he could relate to each one. But now that's debated because Rembrandt painted this picture just two years. It's one of his last paintings before he passed away. And so he didn't get to talk as much about that one. And it wasn't as clear as to which one he was. But he did like to put himself in his own artwork. Now another one, right? I love this one too. It's one of my favorites. Norman Rockwell's triple self-portrait, right? He shows not only his own interpretation of who he is, but he also injects it with humor and whimsy that made his paintings so relatable. That's an interesting, it's kind of a funny one, don't you think? It's a good way to kind of get a view of Norman Rockwell. But you know what? When I think of famous art, and when I think of famous artists, I can't help but to think of Michelangelo's painting, the Sistine Chapel ceiling. You know, Michelangelo spent four years laying on his back painting the Sistine Chapel. Michelangelo considered the work tortuous. He wrote poems about how he struggled, and his descriptions are supposed to be vivid and funny. And if I knew Italian, I could read it to you and it would rhyme, but it may lose a little bit in translation. But he wrote things like, My brush above me, all the time dribbling paint. My face makes a fine floor for its droppings. He concluded with this powerful sentiment. My painting is dead, and I am not in the right place. I am not a painter. Though he truly was a brilliant painter, Michelangelo considered himself a sculptor, and he found himself doing something he had no desire to do. And for that, his work absolutely tortured him. Interestingly enough, Michelangelo included his own self-portrait in his rendering of the Last Judgment. It's not a flattering picture. In the picture, St. Bartholomew is holding the hollow shell of a person. So there's a Sistine Chapel, and there is the hollow shell, and you can see it's just skin, right? And whose face is on the skin? Michelangelo. You know, in some ways, that right there is almost worth a sermon, don't you think? Just in itself. Has anybody ever felt like that? Some of you maybe multiple times a day, right? Just an empty shell 
of themselves. You know, in my art history class, my professor wondered if this was how Michelangelo pictured himself before God. Now, my interpretation, I see a person who was weary of a job that he never truly wanted to do. The way Michelangelo pictures himself teaches us something about who he was, at least as he was painting the Sistine Chapel. Now in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the author says that Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. That is to say, the mysterious, unknowable, intangible God became tangible, knowable, and visible in the person of Jesus the Christ. In this world where darkness and violence and hatred are far too prevalent, we turn our eyes to Jesus when we feel hopeless. We look to Jesus to be our hope. Though things are not as they should be, the author of Hebrews reminds us to look to Jesus. And each time we look to Jesus, we will see God. In the person of Jesus, we see what is important to God. We see who God chooses to spend time with, right? Sinners with us. We come to understand what is close to the heart of God. And every time we gather around the communion table, we remember that God so loved the world that God gave his only son. God chose to be visible. God chose to be tangible. God chose to be knowable. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, kind of leans on Psalms 8. Do you notice the comparison between them? It does this to teach us something about Jesus and the importance of incarnation, Jesus' death, and even Jesus' resurrection. It reads, What are human beings that you, O God, are mindful of them, or mortals that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. In Psalms 8, David is in awe that God would care for human beings. One who is like a small speck of dust when compared to the greatness and the grandness of the entire world. Now the only answer to Hebrews and King David in Psalm 8 to the question, who are human beings that God is mindful of them and cares for them, is this. Who are human beings? Human beings are the one that God loves. God cares for. God loves us, and more personally, God loves you. Right after our passage today in Hebrews 2, 16 and 17, we hear more of God's answer. And it says this, For it is clear that Jesus did not come to help angels, but Jesus came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, Jesus had to become like his sisters and brothers in every respect 
so that Jesus might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of all the people. My friends, we got to think about this. Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. Jesus became like us. This should blow our tiny minds, okay? This is huge. We should join the author of Hebrews and King David in asking, who are we, God, that you would ever be mindful of us? My friends, when we look at Jesus, we see God. We see God for who God is and what God thinks about us and cares about us. Jesus came into the world to help us understand God better. This Sunday is World Communion Sunday. And we gather together today around our communion table. We are fed and we are nourished by Jesus who is our host. And then you know what? Then we're sent out, we're sent into the world to bring our small incomplete images of God into the world so that others might see Jesus Christ in us. If God is imprinted on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is the host of our table and Jesus Christ who calls us and we actually in this holy communion we take the very presence of Jesus Christ into our being aren't we then imprinted with the image of Jesus Christ and then what are we to do with it are you imprinted just for the sake of imprinting because God and Jesus just likes to see a bunch of people who, you know, run around on the earth looking like Jesus? No. You're called to do this so that you can then take Jesus Christ out into the world. Just think, people from all kinds of backgrounds, with different strengths, with different gifts, everywhere in the world on this day, are taking Holy Communion and then going out into the world. Golly, if we really did take the imprint of Jesus out in the world, would we not just change this world in amazing kinds of ways? Maybe even change your life in an amazing way. One Christian pastor put it this way, and I love these words. In other words, God has placed you where you are for the good of that place. God calls you to the places you already are, your home, your workplace, your gym, your neighborhood, your social groups. Take responsibility for the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Wherever you find yourself, take responsibility for the kingdom of God. Golly, so many times when we talk about mission work, we always go, oh, I'm so glad there are missionaries in the world, and I'm also so glad I'm not one of them. Oh, my. But here's the deal. You are. You absolutely are. And it's not to an exotic place, unless your family's exotic. 
It's to the places that you know, that you're familiar with, the everyday, what you might even call the mundane and the routine. You are called to that place. So live out the imprint of Christ in you in that place. And I promise you're going to make a difference. You know, in the church that I came from in, uh, in New Braunfels, one of the things we did while I was there is uh, we, we had some windows that needed some work in our sanctuary. And, uh, and instead of just replacing the windows, we said, hey, let's do stained glass. And we did. Now, we had some stained glass artists in the church. And uh, we also thought, well, what are we going to do? Because we only had, you know, seven windows in the church. I mean, it wasn't like we could do one side Old Testament and one side New Testament. We just didn't have enough window space. And so we really debated this and we prayed about it. And I think we came up with what I thought was really the, the perfect solution. We said, hey, let's do the seven I am statements that you find in the gospel of John. You know, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. You know, you have all these great statements of Jesus in the gospel of John. And one of them was, I'm the bread of heaven, right? And so when we did the bread of heaven, we had uh, a communion kind of a table and we had bread and we had grapes on it and we had cup and we had a, 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 a patent and a chalice and all those kind of things, what you would expect to see on a communion table. Now, the lady who was the artist said that, you know, before she ever started, she'd always pray. And she would really let God kind of move her hands as she made her art. And she came up to me and she said, Pastor, I do not know why I did this. I'm really struggling, but I felt so strongly that the Holy Spirit was telling me that in that picture, I had to make sure that I put a window into the outside world. And so there was this beautiful win window, you know, kind of a, a pastoral scene with uh, amber waves of grain and just, you know, the hills and the blue sunshine out there. And I said, I know exactly why God had you do that. You know, you're, let me interpret your prophecy, okay? And that is, we never, as a church, take Holy Communion for the sole purpose of only blessing ourselves. Absolutely not. Christ Jesus gives you himself in Holy Communion so that you can then take Christ Jesus out into the world and make a difference. That is why we take Holy Communion. It's not just for self-blessing. We are blessed. But then we take it and we live it out into the world. My friends, as we celebrate Holy Communion, we see Jesus. We see God. And we can say, God is mindful of us. God loves us. And so let's receive that love. Let's take it into our very being, the imprint of Jesus Christ, so that we can then take Jesus out into a hurting world. In the name of the Father, 
and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.